Yeah. Elastic yeah. beanstalk is what I always guess come back. what that's going to be. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 407 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Day of Comedy podcast, Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is March 16th, 20 Jubilee. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. And I would also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for your monthly donations to help keep the podcast going. Uh, All right, Sam. Mm. Let's talk about last week we revealed that you add you you added plus one human yep. to the inventory Party of the size world. increase. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's level zero right now, though, so it's going to take some. Yeah, she only really has put points into charisma. I think That's basically really it. no really no other de- no dexterity no strength it's nothing yeah. else. Really. Very very low intellect yeah. right it's now. Actually, it's actually uh, it's such a long grind that she has to be carried by. Uh, you know, higher level yep. character, you know, Diana in this case, doing all the carrying. Yeah, the new player experience, honestly, is really kind of fucked up because, mm-hmm. like, it really does just completely rely on veteran players sort of carrying the newbies, yeah. oh, you absolutely. know, for like a really long time. Yeah. I, I don't, they really need to look at that. Well, this is kind of what, what lazy devs. About, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, lazy devs. It is a multiplayer game, though, so I guess you know, they did do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it builds community, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, so the, the story for this past week. So, one is that these, these sort of like occasional, these two-hour feedings and then occasional cluster feedings, as they're called, which is where the baby basically finishes feeding and then it's like, actually, I would like another round sort of within like 40 minutes, which seems insane. Sort of sort of Hobbit style. Yeah. We had first a, first a breakfast, why not second breakfast sort of a thing. <laughs> but then there's like three or four of them back to back. So Dinah's been crushing it on this whole like, because she's, she's breastfeeding the baby. And so it's like, it's sort of like a constant, insane sort of a gig, right? If you had to go do something every two hours and it took an hour to do it, that's basically where she's been at, right? Um, we've got some reprieve because the baby's really good and so every so often she'll conk it. She's not sleeping for longer, you know, three, four hours, something like that. But still, when they go through these growth spurts, then the baby will do this thing where it's like every hour, every two hours, Diane has to go feed this baby. Um, and so it's just been like, it's kind of a wild rodeo. People always talk about the sleep deprivation effect of all this, right? Which is like, the major challenge is like mechanically, we got this down, right? Diana's, Diana's flipping this baby around. Like we got the burping down. This the whole thing is mechanically, we are doing the skills without too much trouble, right? Oh, and you'd say like any, any little aspect of it isn't like a hard thing to do exactly sort of in, in and of itself the hard thing know? is the fact that you're doing it every two hours right it's, it doesn't matter <laughs> it's just like it doesn't really matter if you get really really good well i guess it actually matters a lot but like it's sort of Scythian, right it's like throwing exactly. the boulder up the hill like doesn't matter how strong you are you just have to keep doing that exactly so that is a question on this but uh there's a funny thing happened which i'd seen in some like some videos and stuff people on reddit um baby cams and things like that where uh, last night, so Diana had kind of like a, uh, I would say, a very light sleep yesterday. Um, and so last night, we're getting ready for bed. And my goal basically during all this is to make sure she's good and then always try to make it so that she can fall asleep really fast, right? So we hop into bed, we're chatting a little bit, and then she starts fading, which is great. So I'll cuddle it up. And then I hear her say, oh, I got you. And then she just starts giggling. 
And I was like, what happened? And she was like, I thought the baby was on my chest. We're in a different room in the house. She thought the baby was <laughs> on her and like went to go touch. I was like, oh, God, you like touch, went to touch the baby and there's no baby. You know what I mean? It's like a phantom baby, like a phantom limb sort of a thing. And was like, oh, oh. And then just was kind of giggling and then passed out. Um, so the that kind of <laughs> like that constancy of like how much this is happening, I think is it's all just blurs together. Yeah. It is, it's wild. It's totally wild. Um, but it's been it's been a it's been a lot of fun still. Uh, baby's just baby's vibing, doing great. And Diana's killing the game on all that, all the feeding stuff, which has been really nice to see. So the whole the pyramid we got going on is basically my guy. My concern is is Diana, and then. Make sure she's sleeping. Make sure she's doing well mentally and all that stuff. And then her concern is the baby. And so we kind of do that, you know, making sure making sure all the stuff is, is uh, balanced out and taken care of and stuff. So it seems like it's working pretty good so far. Yeah, I mean, he, hearing you guys talk talk about this stuff, it really kind of like it, it, make, it makes me think a lot about a lot of the things that we've you know worked on in the context of trying to uh, like bring DevOps into the studio and like trying mm-hmm. to be more sort of be more conscious about what it is that we're doing and why and how and like what actually makes things hard versus what just seems to make things hard. Because the thing that's, I think, kind of interesting about it is that, um, like we were saying earlier, what what you guys have, like what you have to do, if you just sort of encapsulate it as like a singular task, like a bunch of singular tasks, any one of those is like anybody can do that. Oh, yeah. Change a diaper. That's easy. Not not hard. Put clothing a baby. Change a diaper. Yeah. Anybody can change a diaper. Mm -hmm. Anybody can do this. Anybody can do that. Except if you have to do it all, all of the time and also try to figure out how to balance that against your own needs and your own schedule and hand off like the logistics of handing off between parents, right? And then suddenly it's like- It's like, whoa, okay. It it, it reveals that it it almost makes me think about like the, how uh, in DevOps you talk about the idea of like waste, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like- handoffs and task switching and motion and like all and heroics. So like something went wrong and suddenly you got to drop everything and go take care of it. Right. And it's like, uh, though that's the stuff that actually makes things really hard and exhausting. Yeah. It's not like the individual task itself in isolation. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, well, it's the complexity yeah, of the context. Right. Cause that's all yeah. assuming even that, like you're not also trying to balance having to go back to work right away since we don't have, guaranteed paid parental leave in the United States, right? Uh, right. And that you aren't under a pile of debt you're trying to climb out from under, and that you have grandparents who can help, and that you have a partner even. Yeah, no, 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 the whole thing is bonkers. Yeah, like, just as soon bonkers. as you start adding in all those other layers of, like, just how difficult your context can be, uh, then it, it, it gets pretty fucking wild. Because, yeah, you're right, at root, yeah, yeah. like, the actual tasks themselves. But yeah, it's I think that's true yeah. of, like, it's true of, like, all tasks, Right. It's like, well, exactly. Yeah. Like every, every little detail for the most part, like the stuff you got to do, like it's fine. The problem is that it all exists in the context of like a million other tasks, plus the stuff mm-hmm. that's impacting your overall ability to, to do any of them. Yeah. And even just, even just something like, you know, like Sam and I have been talking through a bunch of pro like production management stuff earlier in the week. And it's even just things like, um, you may know, for example, that you have this big thing that needs, that you need to take care of next, but it's three 30 PM and mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're done working in like an hour, hour and a half or something like that. Uh, you can't necessarily start a huge thing that's going to require tons of like context switching and setup and stuff. And so now you've got not the nature of your work changes. And now you've got to go like, 
go into a backlog or something and start trying to find things you can do to still kind of like make sure you get some stuff taken care of mm-hmm. before the end of the day, right? So now, you're, now your work has shifted. It's no longer do X. It's figure out what X is. And that's now your job. Mm-hmm. And that takes a ton of mental energy, right? Yeah. Decision so all this like invisible. the most costly damn thing. Yeah. So there's all this invisible work between the, quote, actual work yes. and the invisible work is oftentimes the actual hard part of like any anything that you're doing. It's all the context, right? And then like, so yesterday, yeah. so I'm running around taking care of all sorts of house stuff and I got to drop some things in the mail to pop outside and we just had a big snow, snow plows came through and the mailbox, can't find it. It's gone. <laughs> Where the fuck mailbox go? It is <laughs> buried it or is, literally gone? It was 20 feet away from the post that it's on oh. because the the snowplow, which happens apparently very commonly here, the snowplow clipped it. You could see like on the corner, just like probably caught like an inch of it. And, you know, a snowplow is huge and has a lot of inertia. So that mailbox just sort of pl- just like got flung just popped off. Like- <laughs> and I was shocked because I haven't actually picked up a mail, like a you know proper mailbox. I've never hefted just a mailbox because they're not usually, you know, unattached. That thing. It's fucking heavy. I didn't realize that they're like, it's a very dense contraption, you know? Um, probably weighs like 30 pounds. I'm not even kidding. Like, just like pick this thing up and it's like a regular mailbox. And that was flung like 20 feet off this post, right? So <laughs> it got really knocked. It's it's probably, exactly sort of thing. Yeah, I think the fun thing about those like giant inertia things, right, is that they always have that kind of effect. It's kind of like the like a like a breakdown in a physics engine, right? Where like something clips mm-hmm. and it goes flying <laughs> off, right? And one like, thing goes flying. Yeah, really inertia <laughs> does that, where you like you see a train like just it seems like it tapped something. Right. Yeah, and the thing goes, and the thing just, just goes fucking flying like yep. so much faster than it seems like it makes any sense because yeah, yeah, it's the- yeah or that a train can hit a semi like a like a hundred sixty thousand pound semi that's parked on the, parked on the train track and the train just does, does not slow down <laughs> at all. <laughs> it's, like, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's like one of those things again that you're talking about this this context context determining the actual challenge of the work or the string of work and it's kind of the same thing right where it's like yeah you know on a on a standard day now we're we sort of got better we got good rhythms and stuff going on with the baby feeding Diana's doing well kind of taking the naps and making sure she's doing good like we're, we're managing the stuff but then yeah you walk outside and the mailbox gets exploded off its post and you're like okay yep how it's just some other thing yeah you got you okay know, there's just the got- bar for like wh- how far how much how much slack you got basically it sort of really tightens up and Diana yeah. doesn't have any um and so I'm, that's where I'm trying to keep you know keep the things on level you're trying to be the slack master yeah, yeah. yeah that's why like trying to create like as a person running a business trying to create ever present slack right for mm-hmm. like the team this is why it's so important because no matter how well a system is running the context that you're operating in is going to throw chaos into it. And if it can't handle being derailed periodically, right, because Mm -hmm. of the infusion of chaos, because everything is like, even if it's running perfectly smoothly, it's like uh, what's his name, Chris Traeger, you know, who's like, if I get one one grain of my body's a microchip, (laughs) one grain of sand in there, the whole thing disintegrates, and he just like completely falls apart when he gets a little sick, right? It's the same. Think about that though, like because the the. Uh, incentive or the kind of the decision-making process that a lot of managers use actually biases in the complete opposite direction, right? It's like you want you want your people to always be at 100% capacity and, quote, like being productive, right? Yeah, actually, Except then when something – They want 110% capacity so yeah, they can – yeah. yeah. 
And then once you deliver 110%, that becomes the new 100% yeah. because, you know, once you exceed expectations, the expectations go Yeah, on. I just saw a thing and, about uh, And now you're just meeting them. Yeah, I just saw a thing <laughs> about Meta doing another, planning another round of 10,000 oh, yeah. layoffs mm-hmm. for that this year or something. Yeah. And, and it was a bit like there's all these, uh, uh, you know, capitalist panic articles about how trying to get rid of work from home and all these kinds of things, you know. And part of like what the announcement was, was that Mark Zuckerberg is saying that what they found was that people who they hired like during the pandemic, who like they kind of hired remotely and then worked remotely, right, were uh, had a worse performance than people who were hired through like the in-person process pre-pandemic, right? And – and I'm, like you just see this on a scale. scale. No, my question yeah, is, what the what? fuck <laughs> metrics yeah. are you using? Because like yeah. I've thought extensively about how to measure performance, right? Um, for myself to figure out, like, am I doing a good mm-hmm. job, right? And, yeah, and what you do is going to be on in the same sort of general domain as like a an engineer at Facebook, yeah. right? Like it's you're like doing pro- computer programming, solving architectural problems, blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. And I still like I just. I've never seen any metric ever that when you like sit down and start thinking about it, doesn't just obviously result in a bad measurement that yeah, it doesn't not, reflect reality at all. It's just not. There's too many. There's just too many pieces to be able to boil it down. Yeah. And anytime you do manage to boil it down, so you talk about like velocity and you know sprints. People use velocity a lot. But that also the idea of velocity is based on the size of the tasks that you're putting into the system. Too, yeah. Right. So it's like if someone on your team's better at breaking tasks down into more pieces that are actually move, then each individual piece is moving through faster. Then it looks like because your measure is how many pieces are moving through, it looks like your velocity is higher when it's not in terms of actual delivered goods. Right? It might be just equivalent to to someone who just had a card in their little Kanban board or whatever and just worked on that for the whole week and then finishes it at the at the very end. But yeah, one versus it's, ten, it's whatever. not measurable. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but here's but the problem is then like if you've got let's say you got ten people who are all doing who are all doing work mm-hmm. and just sort of by definition like we're saying it's nearly if not completely impossible to actually measure whether or not those people are doing a good job. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I think you can you can use heuristics and you can look at things at a higher level, mm-hmm. but if you wanted to actually like get like a daily number of like how good of a job did Steve do today on a scale from zero to 100, right? There's, you're not going to be able to get it, right? And so as a result, then like middle managers, they still have people above them trying to measure their job, right? How good of a management job is this person doing? So then the incentive is on the middle manager to invent weird fucking ways that are proxies for performance, like how many minutes did you spend in your chair in front of your computer? Yeah, it's also put tracking stuff on your website. Substitution <laughs> heuristics, right? That's basically what it is. Which is like you can't you can't answer the question that's being asked. Yeah, so you just measure something, measure else, something else. Yeah, but entirely, think, and then I think that becomes your metric. That's what's so tricky about this. Where like, because I think as a person who works directly with a person, say say you you work directly with two people, you do have a sense of who who of those mm-hmm. two people is is more capable or more productive, right? Yeah, because it's actually but, the team dynamic. That yes. reveals Ooh, this like fuzzy it. metric of like how capable like I think it, it could be, only you're, be, fuzzy, you have to be working right? together. You're right because because people are so good at faking stuff, right? That mm-hmm. in terms of like being able to make claims about what they're doing, especially in like a big corporate context, because um, that's the easiest way to move up, right? Yeah, um, so then you have to have that direct working with so people can see your work, right? Right, and they know what it's like to actually work with you. 
and and that's that's one of the things that you see uh, in all these like the smarter people talking about this stuff are constantly warning that like the ways that these big companies use, especially like tech companies and stuff, to evaluate workers and get rid of them, basically guarantees that they're getting rid of the people who matter the most, which are like the team linchpins who yeah. everybody else depends on strongly enough that that person spends a lot of their time basically like boosting doing the immeasurable team, things, doing things that are not on record anywhere, right? Because it's all like yeah. interaction with the people and all this kind of stuff, right? Or it's just people who have no interest in spending a bunch of time cheesing metrics and they're yeah, just trying they're just to actually work do done. stuff. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's so interesting because like those, the reality is that a really good evaluation does not scale. You can't scale that to 10,000 people in terms of being like really knowing and then being able, there's no apples to apples, you know. Yeah. Well, I'd say it also doesn't, it also... If you come up with a really good way to evaluate one person, even that evaluation doesn't scale forwards in time, right? Yeah, because that true. what that person is capable of doing and what you need them to do changes over time. Mm-hmm. And whatever your, your KPI was, you know, three months ago may no longer apply, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe there's three new things that you need to start thinking about to evaluate whether that person's doing well. So like, yeah, but ultimately I, I think to me the, the metric should just be like, can you tell? Mm-hmm. As in like, if this person uh, isn't around, can you tell? Mm-hmm. Can, right? Well, can, <laughs> not can you kind necessarily, of the, but can the team that they work can with? Can somebody like, tell, right? As in like, is it, if, if that person steps away for a while, Will there be problems that are harder to solve? Will there be things that fall apart? You know, well, and even that stuff tricky, right? Because that because if you take that metric, then anybody whose job is to like make sure things stay stable and bulletproof and are not likely to fail, all that kind of stuff, right? They're basically constantly doing maintenance and anti fragility work. Then you don't notice. I mean, the team might notice they're gone because like they will depend on them for all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But the sort of unit of like functional output yep. might not notice. Maybe not even yeah. for a long well, yeah, time. Yeah, it's, well, it's all about time scales. Yeah, because like for example, maybe you maybe a company just sacks its entire IT department, right? And they're like, we haven't had any security breaches. Yep. Our servers have words. been running fine. Yep. This is the whole like pull, pull, in, pull in Elon with Twitter. It's like move, I listen. Right? I, I took like, the first three uh, pills in the Z Pack antibiotic, and I'm yep. feeling better. Feel better. So I'm gonna yep. stop. The right? classic it's the same yeah. fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, well, that's another point there, which is like if you're if you're obsessed with performance metrics, but then you actually have a team of people whose job it is to make sure things don't happen. Yep. Then you there's know, in theory, measure, every right? single <laughs> yeah. day there's an infinite number of things that didn't happen, yeah. right? And so you can't you can't measure that. <laughs> yeah. So that is that is true. Yeah. And I, I think you would need to kind of take like different approaches depending on is this a production team? Is this a maintenance team? Is this an R and D team? Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, you know, you can still only get very sort of fuzzy heuristics about whether or not that team is making good progress toward whatever it is that you want them to be yeah, doing. Think, you know, I mean, mass layoffs are never going to it's a blunt instrument so it's never going to be done well i don't know how you can again you can't you can't very you can't super effectively scale knowledge about like truly knowledge about uh who's who is really key for the operation to keep going especially when it's run up against all the other people who are leaving too there's like all those kind of mishmash oh yeah because you're going to dramatically change the context so much yeah you might make it a lot of high performing people who you keep become low performing in some weird way because of some other structure. Oh, you absolutely will. Well, because also they're not going to trust the company, right? Because like, I mean, 
the biggest impact. If a bunch of their friends just got fired, they're going to be like, well, fuck yeah, this. But, yeah, but I think <laughs> the wild thing is like this is this is the first time for all these big tech companies that there have been this like successive rounds of these really big layoffs for like, you know, Meta and Google and everybody, right? Um, and one of the biggest things that that does is because 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 those companies a lot of their focus on their employee retention is like one is compensation right that's why pay is so high at those companies but it's also supposed to be that like we we take care of you it's all about like the benefits and the vibe and like creating the okay. system where it's like you come in here and like you can just count on like things are fine now as long as you you know are basically working and doing mm-hmm. good stuff right but it's basically like we hired you because we think you're good and so that's we're done with that now right and then as soon as you have these mass layoffs, which – and especially in the context of like the companies are doing fine, right? They don't yeah. – they just overhired um, in the first place. So they just had more people than they strictly needed, but not more people that they can afford, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, so then when they like, oh, we need our investors to feel a little better about what's going on, so fire people, right? It, it's that now all of a sudden you have this fresh reminder because all of a sudden your buddy's gone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, that a you're, gone, as a right? as a worker, you're an investment vehicle for a, a rich person. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. That, and that you can be removed at any moment. Right? Yeah. And so the impact on on morale and on people, because like so much of of as like I, as I think we can all attest, right? So much of delivering good work is on just morale. Yeah, because if you it's don't team function, mm-hmm. it's team. Function. It's, it's yeah, it's all team function and, and personal function. And mm-hmm. if you fuck with that to try to save a buck, right? Then. Well, but this also kind of kind of pairs with. We were talking a while back about advertising, right? Where you know, I was like, ah, I don't think it's even a thing that matters, right? But we were talking about the idea of defensive advertising, which is like, you know, if there is a if there is a billboard somewhere, um, and anybody can you know bid to put their stuff on there, and one of your competitors is going to do that, then you're going to think like, well, I don't know if 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 like people seeing my billboard will actually like move my product. But at the same time, I want to make sure people don't know about my competitor. Mm -hmm. So I will buy space on this billboard, right? And companies do this all the time with advertising. It's this sort of defensive strategy. It's like, it's not about spreading the message about your product. It's about just taking up as much space as you can so that other people can't get their message out, right? Well, this is actually also interesting. Is that I remember? I I think related to this is the idea that like when you go in and like go to the toothpaste section, like in a store, you know, and there's like a thousand kinds of toothpaste that actually, like, you look at the ingredients, it's like the like same brand, like the ingredients are the same. Nothing is different except maybe like super minor variations, right? Mm -hmm. But mostly it's just like different names and packaging. And the reason they do that is to crowd, is to physically crowd out that space, crowd it out, yeah, Yeah, so that there's just. There's no choice. It's, it's not about selling toothpaste. It's about making sure nobody else yeah, exactly. can sell toothpaste. <laughs> so what I think is kind of interesting about and potentially kind of short-sighted about these layoffs, which I think we did kind of talk a bit about at like during the first rounds of like Twitter layoffs and stuff, is that is that there are some incredibly talented people at these tech companies, right? And it's weird to, to say like, okay, we've got 10,000 super smart engineers and tech people, but we don't really have a lot for them to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're just going to set them loose, just just set them free into the wilderness. Right. And like any 10 of those people could get together and make the next big startup As that just say. destroys your company. Yeah, right. And so it's like even if you don't have anything for them to do, keep them hired. And if they, if they happen, <laughs> yeah, if they happen to do something, then <laughs> that's your thing. 
And that's cool. That's and if they don't do anything, then that that's also okay because at least they, you know, didn't like wander off and crush you, yeah. right? Well, there's some anecdotal stories that I've heard about part of Meta's overhiring recently seemed to be that because a lot of they, – they hired a, a lot of people who like once they got into the company, like had to fight to find work to do. They didn't have anything there to do. There was just yet. nothing for them yeah. to do. But that's like – and so it seemed like they were basically hiring just defensively to keep other people from getting <laughs> these people, right? Yeah. Uh, but the problem with doing that is you take a whole bunch of smart people and then bore them to death, right? Is yeah. like because you still have to then set them free. Actually, it's to expensive do to do that yeah, because they, do they don't want to do that, right? Yeah. And so you got to pay them a lot to like you actually have to pay somebody who's like a who's really pumped about like being a programmer or solving problems, or whatever. Like you have to actually pay them a premium to get them to stop doing shit. I think there was a right there was like <laughs> a sci-fi short stories being read where they were like, you don't like humans get bored. It's a huge problem on these interstellar trips and stuff. So like, do not leave a human like unattended at your spacecraft for longer than like a day because they'll just yeah, start they'll doing just do shit. Some, yeah. They'll, they'll just like, start doing stuff. Yeah. yeah. They'll start tinkering. <laughs> they'll invent a religion. You know, like, yep. <laughs> something dangerous will happen. If you, something's yeah, going to happen. Keep them entertained. Otherwise. Oh. Yeah. But, and, but I think, you know, uh, here's the thing, like a company doing this kind of defensive hiring thing is, it's worse for all of us, right? In the sense that, like, how many, how many new, interesting, innovative things are we missing because companies paid a bunch of people to sit there and do nothing, right? We don't know, but at the same time, like, it is the smart business move for those companies. Well, it's also to, on to an individual that, level. You know? It's not worse for you necessarily individually. You know? Yeah, because you, you gotta have money to survive. You know, if you so can like, pay the oh, yeah, big, no, yeah, yeah. big Silicon Valley. I'm saying at the macro level, yeah, yeah. like a yeah, yeah. for societal yeah. level. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's and it's the same rationale for like why if we had universal basic income, then like and again, like you see, like these stories of it's like so I like there, there's a few of these stories that I just can't get out of my brain. Like one of I think it was on AGT, America's Got Talent, where this person came out just like was so fucking good right mm -hmm. and they their whole lives they just like wanted to be a singer but you know they couldn't because they were trapped under the trappings of, of capitalism and dealing with poverty right and so they were just like working miscellaneous jobs their whole lives and they got up and they just sing, just sung so beautifully and they're like oh this is like the show's gonna change your life you're finally gonna get to live your dream you know and i was like the only reason we now get to hear this person sing right is because of this fucking random game show. show right yeah when and like and how many people for the same like thing that you're saying about like people that get trapped like really smart people that companies hire just defensively against other companies then to board don't them. even let them do anything right how much cool shit you know could we yeah could we actually well, yeah that is that is true that 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 ubi universal basic income argument about like uh on the one hand you sit you say like how many how many amazing, talented people will never get to develop their skills and share what they have with the world because they are working four jobs trying to just pay the rent for a single apartment, mm -hmm. right? Or um, they just like have to work wherever because they need health insurance because it's all, because we also don't have nationalized health insurance. Yeah, exactly. And then on the, you know, then, and then the thing that, that pisses me off about that though is like is about the the opposing argument is people say, well, some people are going to get that universal basic income and then they're not going to do anything. Yeah, I don't care. Right. And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> Fine. You know, yeah. that's like, it's a cost benefit question, well, right? And like, what's the, the cost? To the, yeah. the next piece, which is the chat GPT-4 came out. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah we're going to be yeah. we're going to be needing this UBI. Like it's just going to get real weird. We we've and, already yeah. needed this for a long time because the sheer amount of poverty and the, the sheer fuckery that that we live under, right? With how our system works and like it's already way past due to have like an actually mm-hmm. good UBI system, but yeah, we're about to run headlong into this being AI is going to throw a real uh, wrench at this whole thing. Problem, uh, yeah. So GPT-4 came out this uh, past week and the I guess they have like they have some pictures of like the kind of the total training set size for 3.5 versus 4 and it's one of those things where it's like I don't know what the number is cuz it's so fucking huge. I think it's like a hundred like 100 times yeah. bigger or yeah. something. And so the result of this is that the the thing has gotten just way better. Very spooky. It was too much better. In fact, like a, a lot of different ways um, and they've added they're adding basically a bunch of additional functionality to it. And I think this is this to me is where things start getting really odd because we talked about basically a lot of the challenges associated with you know work being integration challenges. Basically handling things that are coming in from either multiple sources or in different modes. And by modes I mean like text, images, code, you know, all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so one of the big ones then is like how do you how do you think about something like images in the context of like chat GPT? Right. So with four with ChatGPT four, they've shown that they basically are able to you can feed it an image and then ask it questions about the image in a way where it actually knows. I guess I'm gonna use that word because who cares? It knows what is happening in the picture to a degree that it can tell you what's going to happen. So they had a picture of like a I think some something about to essentially hung hung above a board that was balanced, and so it was like what's going to happen when that thing falls, and it tells you what's going to happen, which you know it'll hit the board, the thing with the ball on the other end will fly up. So you got a different level of like that's a one this happened very fast which is what's kind of freaking me out because that is this happened in november i think when they launched 3.5 well so they, they had been developing chat gpt3 for like two or three years mm-hmm. and then they they uh they op- opened that to the public in november and then 3.5 came out just like a couple months later mm-hmm. and now uh we're at chat gpt or with gpt4 yeah and four was I don't know how long they've been developing for but publicly as the bing as yeah, the Bing bot was ChatGPT four, but it wasn't open for anybody else to use until yesterday. Today, I don't know. I think, very yeah, recently. Yeah. But also, the Bing bot is a is a fine tuned version of it. Yeah. Where it, it's it's it uses GPT four engineered. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been engineered to behave in certain ways and like use lots of emojis and you know search for stuff. Be basically. be more like a person and, and then sort of and get now, unhinged. Literally <laughs> every company has now announced they're basically using chat GPT to or, or using GPT and open AI products in general to like enhance their services in some way or another. But like literally there's all kinds of uh, things like um, companies are integrating into their documentation for their services, right? So instead of like having to browse through things, you can just be like, how do I do this, right? Mm -hmm. And then it'll – it will use the documents, the documentation as training uh, for its knowledge base, and it'll just explain stuff to you like a person would. Yep. You know, um, so there's that, and then there's. That's actually like honestly custom, what I'm customer most support about for like the ability to use these AI tools is to not for me to not have to spend time being like, where the fuck is this? Is this yep. information I'm looking for? That's been like if you take like Amazon Web Services, uh, which has for anybody who's dip, dove into that, they have literally like. At this point, a hundred plus yep. different services, right? All with like some amount of overlap. Some of them can kind of interact interact with each other in interesting ways. They have these weird names. It's I mean, they're basically making a video game, right? And that's like they have, yeah. to, they have to invent a name for every service that they come up with. And so if you look at the wall of services, you're like, oh fuck, what 
Yeah, and you can't really infer from their oh, names you absolutely what they cannot. like. What does like, elastic what, what, uh, beanstalk the only one, do? Yeah, yeah, elastic yeah. beanstalk yeah. is you the one that I guess what that's going to be. Right? <laughs> so if you go in there and like, because like so much of what I end up spending my time doing, and not just for Amazon Web Services, but for like all the stuff that I do, is like knowing what I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. but not knowing how to use that thing to do it yet. Mm-hmm. And then f- digging through documentation without knowing like what I'm without knowing how to look for the thing that I want. Right. Yeah. And if I could just ask something like, Hey, which services do I need to string together to make like this happen? Right. And it could just point me to all the right places and summarize that info and give me the names of things. Right. Then all of a sudden what would have taken me, like a day of, you know, exploring and navigating documentation and like trying stuff and being confused and whatever just now takes a, a minute. Yeah. In other words, you could build a mental model a lot faster than you use. So much do, faster. You know, just because. Yeah. Cause you don't, you don't have to stumble around in the dark, just like yeah. grasping at whatever you can see, even though none of it is actually relevant. Yep. You know? uh, yeah. So that's, it's, it's going to be nice. And I, I, I have access to GPT-4. I played around with it and just kind of asked it some of the same things that I had asked uh, chat GPT, which was based on a 3 or 3.5 in the past. And yeah, the level of, of nuance and s- detail and specificity um, was dramatically yeah, it's dramatic. improved. Like, um, and I, I, I haven't done anything with it with code yet. But uh, just as an example, I, you know, I talked with, with, or I, I was right, I wrote to chat GPT-3 a while back. I was like, hey, here's an idea for like a, a novel. Give me what maybe like the first chapter would be. And it basically wrote, it basically wrote it like a, like a five paragraph essay, mm. right? Where it, it even ended with like, in conclusion, yeah. this and this happened. And the person was right. super excited and and they were hopeful for the future. Yeah, like right. We were talking like that, about you know? in, that, in that podcast episode, the last we talked about this a lot, right? Is that it's something that's that the, the stronger the pattern is, the better these yeah. things are going to be at spitting that out. But also, the more the really pattern dense things are like magnets for AI, right? They're like yes. they're, they're going to be drawn towards like the five paragraph essay and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so the problem is like if you say, "Hey, write write the first chapter of a novel," then there's all kinds of nuanced stuff in there. Like, cause first of all, you need some characters, you need dialogue. It can't just be like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, yeah. right? Like people should say things and like have personalities. Um, and also, uh, it, it's supposed to be open-ended because it's the first chapter. It's supposed to start opening up story threads, mm-hmm. but not close them. And it's okay, which also means some kind of longer term intent mm-hmm. of like, Ooh, this would be an interesting story, thing. Basically. Yeah. This would be an interesting thread to start. Uh, but of course, like the original uh, didn't have that level of understanding or or patterns, right? And so, again, like what it would give you in the past was just a fully encapsulated like short story basically with no dialogue at all and just kind of like describing stuff that could happen, mm-hmm. right? And that's not true anymore. You know, this newer one, like it can it – can, it can, it can it. reason its way through that and it can like open things up. And, and I think you can get yeah. it. You can now feed it 25,000 or you can have it output 25,000 characters. Uh, I think that's through the API. I don't know what the limit is on like – the uh, there's basically there's just two modes, right? There's chat. There's the chat GPT, which is just the website with the text prompt. Um, and then there's also the API on the back end, which you can use as a developer. Um, and I believe that's the one where they've opened it up. They've expanded it to 25,000 words or something no, like really? that. Really? 
which in the in the past yeah. it was four thousand. Yeah, because yeah, four thousand was too few to do anything, honestly. But mm-hmm. twenty five thousand might be. It's pretty. It's quite that a bit. Have to start um, doing yeah. Stuff. So I and you know we've got our we have a bee scotch spring break coming up this weekend. So we got a four day weekend. So I'm going to be probably spending quite a bit of time mm, yeah. playing around if, yeah, with if this you new wanna, thing. If you want to come up with a like a project to try to like do, we well, could, I, was, I was thinking I'd start playing around with Unreal Engine this weekend. Oh. But I think I'm gonna use GPT four to uh, kind of so hone my learn it? process. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll they, see. Have uh, they built in? Because I know that uh, that GitHub Copilot, it's like Copilot itself as a like as a product, is only available to a very tiny number of editors. It's like it's like VS Code. Um, I think I think NeoVim or something like one of the just text yeah, ones, just like and a- then like maybe one or two others. So my bet is that it itself is not baked into like the Unreal editor, um, mm-hmm. right? But the Unreal editor might actually have because I don't do they have like a plugin ecosystem? You know, like they might they might have oh, like yeah, a sorts of stuff going on, like an open AI um, integration or something already available. Yeah, because the Unreal editor I believe is is just open source. It period. is, yeah. Um, and so there's a pretty good chance that a, whatever you want to do with it, you yeah, can I mean, make yes, yesterday I was doing GameMaker coding stuff and I, and I had to like, because of the way that like the GameMaker language works to, to try to like do some of the stuff that I wanted to do to get like better, uh, like editor support and stuff. I needed to kind of just like do some pretty verbose fucking stuff, right? I needed to like have some pretty redundant code with a lot, like a lot of docs, right? That describe stuff. A lot of boilerplate. A lot of boilerplate stuff. And so I just opened up. VS code to like edit the thing I needed to edit there. That was going to be like really redundant. And, um, copilot fucked up, uh, the first time because it was like, it gave me some JavaScripty stuff. Right. Right. But then as soon as I had enough like boilerplate mm-hmm. in here, and as soon as I like made it do the right thing a few times, then it was just like tab complete, tab complete, tab yeah, complete. It's like, Oh, this is what we're yeah, doing. Like okay. I figured it Got out. It. Right. Got so quickly. And yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I have to imagine that if you can just get if you can just get access to this fucking open AI stuff somehow, like as you're like exploring um, Unreal or something, that you ought to be able to just really rapidly just have it give you stuff that works, right? That's what I think is funny about this. Oh yeah, is that by comparison, one of the things I was excited about this week is Eclipse Studio 2.0 finally came out, and it has an alignment feature <laughs> for the first time <laughs> in. I mean, Alignment meaning like you take two things and you like put center these center on them each on other, each other yeah. vertical or whatever horizontal yeah. or distribute them across space you know e- evenly it's like and I've, it only took twelve years well I've always felt weird because we've talked about this with regard to art right which is like the like yes yeah, the case of these the, you can use AI art generators to make stuff right now right and they're they're slowly closing in on the ability to maybe like make some sprite sheets or something like that right um, a couple of these ones some people are working on ones that actually can make like a full kind of like a shitty uh, you know, 16 bit pixel art character yeah. turnaround. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> We're going to AI that makes a shitty 16 bit pixel art. Yeah, the focus is, make, is on making the whole last thing, though, rather than as being part of a, a of workflow. like an, of a workflow. Yeah. Because yeah. like that's yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's just been, it's one of those things where I think uh, one of the, the kind of fascinating bits of it has always been uh, on the art side, the still the need to put down every every stroke specifically when it comes to the particulars of a project of a creature or whatever. Um, and like seeing the difference here in terms of like what you guys are starting to get because of this, like basically how, how something like chat GPT or OpenAI fits so well, the kind, the mode of work that you do, right. Where it is actually, you know, Adam being able to just hit tab to like 
knock out a bunch of shit. It's like he doesn't have to type all this stuff, right? Yeah, um, but the main reason it does was because of that integration. Because like if even if Chat GPT was pretty good at being like, oh, I could just like tell it, hey, I want some code that does X. And now I have to copy paste that code like between it and my actual like source, right? I I wouldn't use it, even though even if it was like incredibly robust at doing that. Yeah, because you're just like tabbing back and forth. Yeah, because I would I would hate the workflow so much that it just <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be worth it to me, right? But the fact that it's yeah. built in, and I and actually like the main complaint that people have about even using um, the like the built in uh, copilot stuff is that sometimes it gives you stuff that isn't what you want, and then mm-hmm. that's kind of annoying, right? And or that it gives you like which is like my made annoyance that it'll give you like an autocomplete that's like the first part is right and exactly what you want, but then it gives you like ten additional lines of stuff you don't want, and you don't want to just hit tab because now it's like oh, I gotta delete all this other shit right and so, so like those little things are just annoying enough right yeah. that it yep. prevents people from using it and so if you don't have a really nice integration with your workflow yes. that like takes these things into account gets better at that stuff over time then it's mostly still like yeah you can get you can still like find use cases right mm-hmm. and especially if you're not used to having really robust workflows then like what's the difference between yeah, tapping back yeah, and forth or whatever you're already mm-hmm. doing right but i think that's what's missing for it seems to be like just absolutely not on the radar yet for like art products right well it's, here's the thing though it's actually the, because the the art community is in much more of a panic state existentially about oh, yeah. this stuff such that uh clip studio actually did announce I think last year, late last year, that they were going to have an AI tool. They showed it, an AI art tool baked in. Oh. Now, I don't know exactly what the sort of like really was truthfully it, allowed you to do workflow-wise. but like, Yeah, was it generative or was it workflow-focused? Uh, I believe like, it was generative. Was it, but generative, sorry, I mean, is it like focused on like giving you a whole last thing or was it focused on helping you make the thing you're trying to uh, make? I believe it was based on, well, they're kind of the same because you use like in-painting, out-painting, all that stuff, right? Like once you can kind of, once you can do generative stuff, in the same way that once you can provide some, you know, a chunk of GML code to have Copilot kind of start understanding what's happening. If you're like, oh, you know, fill this in over here, uh, yeah. you can kind of take care. So, but there was a huge uproar and they shut, they shut it down, right? Oh, that's short Because so, yeah. people are like, we don't want our, our art software to just make the art. That's why we're using the art yeah, software. Yeah, which, which is, again, <laughs> like, true. I get it. There's uh, the existential stuff is very real. The legal stuff, is, there's none of this is going to be in any way sorted out on any time scale that is appropriate, given how fast we're hurtling toward all this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, um, you know, I'm watching. Yeah, I'm watching you guys get to just like, I don't know, tail chat GPT well, and I, some code, and it's like, here you go, buddy. And I'm like, hey, I wouldn't worry about it though, Sam, because the way I see it is that is that if the existing um, if the existing art tools like Photoshop or Clip Studio or whatever, um, if they don't integrate this because they look at that as potentially alienating their existing customers, there will be other oh, tools that come out because because there are people who are currently fully outside of the art ecosystem yes. who are not currently artists who are like, I would love to be able to make art, but I, it's like Adam talking about getting into Amazon Web Services, right? It's like, yeah. where the where the fuck do I start? Yeah. I can't just like, I know what I want to have, but I can't figure out how to Get the lines down, right? So, like, there's way more of those people than there are oh, artists. Well, but I think the problem with and that so, though is that that's not going to give you, like, that's not going to give Sam what he wants, which was what Sam. It will though in the in the end because yeah, ultimately, ultimately long, if, it's going to take yeah, yeah, a few years before long, yeah. because because actually the hard part of that is not like oh make an AI spit something out right. No. The hard part is having actually it's like it's like I always come back to VS Code because VS Code has been tuned by a team of developers over 
years to be such a delightful editing experience, right? As in like, it has like so many hotkeys. It has like, it has all the stuff that does just like what I want it to do, right? As I'm like trying to work through building something so that it's truly assisting me create the thing that I want, right? Which is not the same thing as being like, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Give me some code that does what I want, right? That's a very different kind of a of a problem, right? right. And it, it, for now, no, I think I think it's fundamentally a different kind of a problem of mm-hmm. like the person coming in either with expertise or without it. I don't, I don't think those are going to merge like into the same customer base, right? Or the same set of problems. I'm, well, you're, you're just operating on different layers, yeah. right? Because I, I think about how, like, for example, in the Unreal in the Unreal Engine, there's that node-based system. Yeah, yeah exactly. And That's what I'm saying is they're fundamentally different. Like, you don't use the same products for, like, a person who's using uh, uh, a no-code slash low-code way of interacting with the thing right, right, versus, right. like, actually in the guts of the code, right? You're trying to solve different problems there, and, which is, and, I, and it's not to say that, like... You those don't won't have describing more. a moral thing or a capacity. Yeah, yeah. So say those are like a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, like because yeah. yeah, if you can like if you can and want to build a whole ass game using like drag and drop, then that's awesome <laughs> that, that that you can and want to do that, right? Um, but there's still a fundamental difference between like then using that versus being able to reach your hands into the guts of the thing for some other purpose, right? And and over time, it'll become less and less sort of human time efficient to put your hands in the guts of things as like all these other tools get better. That's definitely true. Um, but that sort of a thing where those are literally equivalent, like it just is better to like work with, I guess, an AI plus UI tools and you can do anything you want to. Um, mm-hmm. so efficiently that that's always better than like getting your hands yeah. in the guts like that. that I, Cause that's a UI UX problem. It's not just like, Oh, can we have an AI oh, that's remains, able to generate stuff? You know, yeah, it remains an integration problem. As we yeah. And so I think that's the problem with the art stuff is that unless the tools that already exist, that are already really good for UI UX and like, like CSP and Photoshop that can do like truly amazing, amazing shit already. Mm-hmm. Right. But also specific stuff that like, solves a problem that you want solved um, and that you now are an expert in like using that toolkit and solving problems in that way. If AI tools aren't used to assist in the workflows related to that mm-hmm. and what you're instead hoping for is like somebody new to come along, basically what they're going to have to come along and do is like you they have, have to, to solve everything thing. now yeah. using AI because you no longer have like, again, it's like when I use chat GPT to solve a, a code problem it spits out code for me i have to copy paste that code over (laughs) into Mm -hmm. an editor not only because otherwise it can't even run but because i need to edit it i need to use it in context of other stuff right and i'm sure shit not going to use that input field as a text editor because it would be a garbage text editor yeah i think i think the basic point is that um if we're talking about an image that you make in like in this case for a video game right it's not the case that I would want to just have to be that I would actually I can create just a whole flat image in one go if I want it to. Right. So like draw a slug bun fully rendered and it's just like one layer. Right. You could do that, but it's not a good idea because it's not a flexible thing that you can edit. You Changing the colors of it is, is extremely challenging. Messing with stuff is not possible. Slicing it apart for animation is like impossible. So in other words, I like to add. But again, this is this is all assuming that that those are manual things. Right, because it, it could be that if you have a flat image of a mm-hmm. of a slugabun, then a year from now, two years from now, you could have an AI where you say, "Hey, uh, recolor this thing like this, slice this apart like this for animations." Right, mm-hmm. and you don't have to do any of that stuff yourself. 
Oh no, yeah. Right. But if or you also like, like why? But do, if you also can't, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. can't, if literally all you can do is tell the AI to do stuff and hope that it does close enough to what you want, that it's because like, yeah, like at, sure it can do all of these things, right? But like it's as it's learning how to do stuff better, and even honestly, it's, it's the same as like if you ask somebody else to do something and they're an expert in mm-hmm. it, right? Just because they can do a job and just because they can do it well doesn't mean that that end result is exactly the thing you either want or need, depending on the rest right. of the context. So what right? I'm at, oh, yeah, what I'm getting if at you is like, can't so change it, then you're then yeah, your test, what you right? guys get out of out of the, the fact that it's code is text is you basically get the lowest level sort of off the bat full modifiability of the thing, right? It's it's not like it's handing you an exe. Which is actually more of what's happening on the image side. It's yeah, exactly. a fully yeah, exactly. compiled exactly. image. And so what yeah. I'm trying to say is that like what would be absolutely ridiculously good on the AI and art side for artists specifically, as far as these tool integrations, is something that actually gave you the damn layers, built it in the same way that a, that a person builds it. Just like, just like again, it doesn't give you an EXE because you don't need to know anything about how this code works or like it doesn't give you like a weird script that you can't see inside of and modify but it actually would give you the layers associated with that thing yeah. because then you can do, you can really do stuff. And like structurally, again, like when it comes to integration, it's always the challenge. So the way I set up how to build a Slugabun, for example, I can guarantee you it's different than how someone who's not using Spine or GameMaker sets up some you know 2D thing that they're putting into their into a Unity project. It's just going to be different. So mm-hmm. if the if I'm just getting a flat image, the reality is like there's essentially metadata in that image when it comes to the game art side that you either have to recreate, right? Um, or somehow auto-generate in a way that then allows you to port it to the appropriate place. Unless you can somehow, yeah. you know, again, like... But it's, it's I would think about this kind of like how, like when I started learning to code, it was 2010 and I was using GameMaker, right? And there was a lot of, as I started kind of like reading a, uh, stuff from other game developers and reading like their blogs and, you know, like going to Gamma Sutra, mm-hmm. um, which is now something else. I can't remember. GameDeveloper.com. GameDeveloper.com. Which is more generalized. But, but, yeah, but it's certainly a better name. Um, as I was going through that stuff, there was a lot of hand-wringing about this idea that like Unity – game maker, yeah. like these new, these new tools are coming out that arguably are just not flexible enough to make commercial level games, right? Like they have opinions about like the workflows and what the engine can and can't do and blah, blah, blah. And like, if you want to do something in your game that, you know, game maker fundamentally is incapable of doing, but you just learned how to use game maker, then you just can't do that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Ultimately, people just end up working within the constraints, right? They're just like, all right, fine, oh, I guess right. I just won't do it that way, right? I'll just do something else, right? And so the thing is like, the, you know, the tools the tools uh, that are super accessible uh, end up bringing so many more people in who then just learn how to do stuff that would be kind of surprising just using with even, even within the limitations yeah. of the tool, yeah. right? And so when you're talking about like, you know, you when you're putting together the Slugabun, like you need it in layers and you need to be able to slice it up into Spine and blah, blah. And it's like, all that stuff is true because we're using Spine, because we're using GameMaker, mm-hmm. because we're using Clip Studio. If, for example, Clip Studio had a thing where you could like give it a flat image with no layers, right? Mm-hmm. And then you could be like, generate uh, like animation poses for this, like this, this, and this, and this. Then in theory, you you wouldn't have to slice it up spine mm-hmm. or potentially like we could come up with other ways to use the fact that it can spit out those frames in like a second and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be the new workflow. And then we would just make our game kind of 
based on what it's oh, yeah. capable of, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, so there's, yeah, like, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interplay. Yeah, but it's all yeah. it's all about the workflow, though, and and in the end, yeah. it's all about the editability and user experience. And, and I and I agree, it doesn't actually matter how you edit, as in like mm-hmm. if uh, if I had like an AI code editor and I wasn't allowed to code in it, like at all, you cannot type at all. I just I just had to then tell the AI to change stuff, right? Um, if the AI was so good. And the workflow was so good that like, literally I could just like look at a line and be like, oh, fix that line. Or like, or like, oh, that, like in the same way that I would like talking to somebody with the, during a code review or something, right? If it was that reliable, but also that easy for me to edit through whatever the system was, right? Um, then yeah, that's a workflow I could figure out and get used to, right? Because the workflow is still good, right? And it's still like, I can, I can well, but, make this. But you're still thinking about you're thinking about this from the perspective of somebody who has a workflow and knows how to code, right? And I'm saying, I'm saying there will be, and probably already are, fully published websites and Android apps and whatever that yeah, the were made, that, basically, that were made by someone who can't read us and maybe never even yeah, did and, yeah, and I, a and single I, line of code. No, <laughs> yeah, and I have no problem with that, right? Yeah. Uh, my my point is that, like, in order for that to work the tool has to be fully capable of doing literally everything so that you get what you want. And if there's a bug, you can describe to it what the bug is and it can fix it and like, whatever. Like if the tool can do that, then sure. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Like that gives you what you want. Right. To me, the problem with focusing purely on generative, give you the whole last thing, problem solving in the AI space is that the vast majority of the time, even if the thing that can get created by these AI tools is like good, if it isn't exactly what you want, there isn't a good workflow for getting you there, right? So because ChatGPT is actually a perfectly good workflow for like prose-based things, right? Where you can like tell it, tell it, here's what I want. Oh, make this a little better. Change the tone, change the whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you can like, for a lot of, common prose-based stuff, you can end up with something just from talking to it that like you can basically copy paste and you're done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's like what the workflow experience is for any given AI-based thing, whatever the domain is, um, where you're basically just like iteratively working with the system with a workflow that's you basically giving instructions, right? And it doing a good job of converting those instructions into output, then yeah, that's the dream, right? Um but that's such a hard problem for so many kinds of spaces that if but, the focus again, is like, just that rather than integration of like assistance, like using yeah, it as part of a workflow, not as like, oh, generate this thing for me, right? I think yeah, you're, you're both of you, you're, maybe you're both correct. I think you're just talking about you're just a slightly different angle on it, which is basically just saying like, you can, this is already possible because you shape the work. It's like we always talk about the, work, the shape of the work changes based on your constraints and what you have available in this. Yeah. Like if, if you've got this powerful tool that can do all these things and it doesn't quite give you exactly what you want, then you may just change what you want. Yeah. If you can. Yeah. If you can change what you want. Yeah. Yeah. But most of the time you actually can't change what you want in in any given because the context that exists today where you want to make things do not exist in an AI world, right? So like you can't yeah, make a so game today using OpenAI because OpenAI does not exist in the context of game engines being right. or games just in general, right? You can use it to assist you in a really clumsy way because it's see not integrated into the workflow. That's my point is that what we need yeah. first is good integration into workflows so that AI becomes the context, like everything is sort of like AI assisted 
And that's the context in which you can truly actually now start to get you can purely move things generative between stuff. programs. Yeah, because yeah. I think I, I didn't see some guy put together Sneak in a web-based Sneak game, only using AI, as he said. But he also used these two programs that I don't know anything about, like one to spin up this web server. Like he basically, again, this is what you're good at, which is like you can't. There's no way to say, "Hey, make me a web." Make me an HTML5 game and deploy it. And have so it exist. Play it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not you a have thing. To, right. You still have to do those other someday, pieces. But someday. That'll be a whole ass thing. Oh, yeah. But that's my point is that there's so many whole ass problems that are all so different from each other, actually. Like deploying a whole ass website, making a video game and publishing it, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, writing a book and getting it into people's hands on their Kindle, right? There's like, there's like so many kinds of problems that I think – what where I think where the where the real explosion of AI stuff is going to be, and we're already seeing it, right? Because that's what I, I said yeah. earlier. Like literally every fucking service out there now has just announced, like, oh, we have a we have AI tools now, right? And they're all going to be half-assed at first because they're trying to find a way to force like AI into their things, and they're not designed mm-hmm. around AI being a thing that existed to to mm-hmm. to push their tools, right? Well, I, I actually think about it as as there there there's an intermediate step. So like the first step that we're in right now is the one where like. Uh, generative AI is starting to appear, but it's like you're saying, it's not really, it's not really hooked into anything very well, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the next question is, well, why do we need it to be hooked into things? And it's because things are still done by people, right? Mm-hmm. So like, like why does why does Clip Studio Paint exist? It's because Sam needs. Mm-hmm digital images for our game, mm-hmm. right? It's not that like using Clip Studio Paint is Sam's job. His job is right. is getting digital images created for the game, right? So ultimately, if if Sam didn't have to ever touch Clip Studio Paint or Inkscape or whatever, yeah, and could just, and could just have the images, then that would be that would be a better workflow because there is no workflow. You just have it, right? Well, the thing is, like, um, there is a workflow, though. That's Because, like, there's no universe in which you start from not having a thing and then have it, but oh, didn't yeah. go I mean, through any steps of, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to, it's just, like, the, the actual arch workflow as far as what you would consider it today, right? The yeah, like, cl- like clicking workflow. a trillion times yeah, yeah. with your mouse and, like, managing yeah, layers and, like, all that. So, because so, the thing is, like, ultimately, there's, there's an end product you need. And so, it, in the interim, there's going to be a lot of AI integration to basically help humans deal with the fact that our tools that we use for creating digital products are still incredibly labor intensive and manual, mm-hmm. right? Like you're talking about all the boilerplate code you have to write and like the like managing all the file structures and like doing a bunch of stuff with AWS to deploy yeah. or whatever, right? And like the only reason those services exist is to get some kind of a digital output. Right. Yeah. You're saying, and so saying don't the tools in the middle don't have to exist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really, mm-hmm. if you can get the digital output that you want from some other starting point. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm saying. Is they like do have to the exist. Long, they just don't have to exist in the current the format. current form or or yeah. as things that are that are designed around human interaction. Yes. Right. Because yeah. right. because because they do because like every problem is too different. There's like. Because even if the tool is the AI, which is like this kind of god that can like deploy a physical server for you somehow, right? Yeah, right. right. Uh, Or or several AIs that kind of – Yeah, or handing off things, right? But in the end, like there's still a whole bunch of services that are handing information off between each other to actually get you that coming. And each one is, you know, tailored towards the very specific problem domain because like the world is full of – infinitely slightly different kinds of problems that we're all trying to solve, yes. right? Yeah. And I think in a, in a way it kind of reminds me of like people talking about students using ChatGPT to do their homework, mm-hmm. right? 
And teachers are like, well, I don't know what to do because I'm assigning my students to write a book report and they just had ChatGPT do it and they, then they turned it in, right? And it's this weird thing where, where uh, if your goal is to have a book report yeah. and now there's this thing that can just make those, it's, right? It's the calculator <laughs> then, problem again, but it writ very large. Yeah. Then, of course, like the value of being able to produce a book report drops dramatically because um, now you're just wasting time, right? Well, that's, <laughs> so, so the that's now, that, well, you got to reframe. You think there's no value in like being able to? Yeah. Do well, it, yeah. Let me finish my yeah. sentence. Uh, yeah, because because you've got to reframe why it is that you're writing the book report, right? And it's like if it's just to get the information on paper, that's a useless exercise because you can get that information written down by a robot who knows way more than you do about the topic, right? So if the if the exercise is one of using using your brain to go and like gather information and analyze it and, and synthesize it, and the reason you're writing the book report is to sort of – is to engage with that, mm-hmm. right? Then it's, it's still worthwhile, right? But of course, like in the, in the capitalist world – of we need to we need to make things and sell them right then uh even though it will be way better for your your brain and your learning to you know in the case of art like learn how to do the art and take the time to figure out colors and like how lines lay out and like develop your style well, just and stuff person, like that. it's just it isn't it's enjoyable to do things like you know, and I think that's that's a thing. That's why I, hobbies exist, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's, that's yeah. what's interesting. It's like it it's fun to draw. It is like an AI being. It's able fun to, to do things that you're interested in. Yeah, you know? but AI <laughs> being able to like yeah. fully render a thing that came out of your imagination, like that is that's cool. That gives you the output, you know, real quick. But uh, but yeah, it's not. It isn't drawing. You know, it's yeah, like a just a huge. It's just experience. a different kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's not even thing. that it's. Yeah. It's not even that it's because like using a tool that's able to like just do the work better, right? Mm-hmm. Is a better way. To get that output, it's not as you're saying, right? Like if you just need a five-paragraph essay about this topic or if you just need an art asset that satisfies these If what you need is the output. If you just need the output. And this, yeah, I think this is uh, one of my favorite book series is the Culture series. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this universe, it's run basically by godlike AIs. Probably talked about this in some podcast episodes long ago, but – it's now more relevant than it used to be, right? But yeah. the, the universe is basically like the human yeah. universe is run by these godlike AIs, right? Called minds. And they're so vastly intelligent that they are just effectively gods. Like like people's entire consciousnesses can be stored inside of these things in like a tiny blip that did it can interact with. It can like talk to you in its own imagination, right? Um, and and like this is the universe we live in. And in this universe, it doesn't make any sense for people to solve problems or to do any work because the robots well, would, and yeah. the AIs are so vastly much more capable than people because, again, they're just gods basically, right? That if you need something to get done, the gods should do it, right? Yeah, yeah, because it will happen <laughs> instantly and for free. Yeah, and <laughs> way better than anything you could do, right? Perfectly. So, so in yeah. this in this sort of utopian universe where like nobody has to do anything actually, right? Then people have to figure out like, okay, well, my what my my person? yeah, my value is now not in like can I do a thing better than anybody else or can I even Your value isn't well? in being useful yeah, because your value not. is actually just yeah. in finding ways to enjoy your own life. And they, and they had these like scenes in the series where like a new ship is being assembled. It's being assembled like in the dock of this 
you know, world-sized AI. This thing has like 10 god AIs that that manage it because it's so huge, right? And they're building the ship using all of these drones and stuff, right? But people are allowed to help, right? <laughs> and and they just like they slow down the process, right? But the god AIs don't care. They're just like, oh, people need stuff to do, right? And because the AIs are like, we're immortal. They're literally immortal. It does not matter. And so people just get to enjoy the work, and they're like, oh, I just I can see, and they and they get to watch the ship fly off, and they get to say like, oh, like I I put a piece of that in there. That's that's really cool, even though they weren't needed, you know. And if anything, they they didn't help, you know. It's like have it's like with your kids helping you with something, right? They're not really helping, right? Yeah. But it's that well, actually it reminds me of like value comes from when you when you're looking at a dog, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the age of AI will turn us into dogs. Just it will in a, in a sense. Yeah, but yeah. Well, the question is in what way. But I think um, when you look at dogs and like interact with them, you don't. You're never like trying to get your dog to do more. You're never worried about the productivity you're, levels yeah, of your yeah. dog. <laughs> you're enjoying the company of the dog, right? And there's a they're just pumped. They're fun to be around. Yeah, they're I, just doing yeah. stuff. And you're just trying to yeah, give your pets a happy life. That's and that's it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. as like as a you know, as a new dad, I think this is also an interesting thing to touch on because it's like you for, you forget that actually like the core part of being a person, the actual core part, not the not the like put some capitalism on it part, is just hanging out. Just hanging it's, out and helping out. It's just being with just people existing. and just being with people. And what's so weird Vibe is, yeah, it's like you get all this stuff. Yourself. Yeah, all the stuff that we do, I think oftentimes just entertain ourselves, you know, frankly, which probably spawns capitalism and then spawns AI on accident. Like all that stuff you can forget about, it, it gets, it clouds up, it clouds up the vision of like, what, what are you? Like you're a, you're an ape man or lady, you know, or whatever. Like you're, you're just a big ape. So do what big yeah, apes do, which is. Just hang out, enjoy your time with other apes, make tools. I don't know. Like it's just put not, a stick into a termite mound yeah, and but get if, yourself a snack. How, how <laughs> uncomfortable of a concept has that become? Of basically, I mean, leisure time has been you know sort of more or less destroyed. I think in the U.S. conceptually, you're supposed to turn it into a side hustle. So it's like these are you being a person is not allowed in like in a very well. Yeah, we can't you know, afford it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, read, I, was, I think it was probably a tweet or something the other day, but where where somebody was musing about just the concept of cost of living, <laughs> where it's kind of like we've invented this idea that basically being alive has a monthly cash subscription yeah. attached to it, That's spread up. out across a large number of services between internet and utilities and food and waste disposal and rent, you know, all that stuff, right? And all those things come together to to create this cost of living, and that's your entry fee into like being able to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, like you're saying, is is not that's a new thing. That's a new concept, yeah. really new, actually. Like, yeah, like, relative to the span of of humans being around. Yeah, so I think the thing is, you, and it doesn't have to be like that. We got, yeah, we got ultimately. so much. We got so much of a of a you know. Uh, sort of a civilizational, cultural approach to this stuff that I think, in depending on the culture you're in, I think the states is one, of, frankly, one of the worst ones at it. Um, doesn't the question of does it allow you to be a human in the most fundamental way that a human is a human, which is a big ape that interacts with other big apes and hangs out and tells stories and just kind of makes weird shit. Like, do you have any space to do that? Well, there's a reason why people talk about like work-life balance, right? Because it's like life. And work are exactly, yeah. perceived as, as oppositional forces mm-hmm. that interfere with each other. Like just being a person and just kind of like doing 
life stuff is antithetical to the stuff that work demands mm -hmm. of you, right? Yeah. And so you've got to try to balance them because otherwise, you know, your your work will will take over. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my my hope is that, you know, over the next 5, 10, 20, whatever years, that a lot of these kinds of, of tech trends shake things up enough and enough times that people are forced eventually to make some drastic changes to how we think about mm -hmm. Like, what does it mean to be a person in the world, you know? It's already happening. Uh, That's why everyone's tripping, you know? It's happening, but I think it's got to be a generational thing. Yeah, like, because, of to, course, people— I think it has to impact rich people is, the, is what has to happen because yeah. that's the only time anything actually changes. So we just have to hope that everything doesn't crumble and we don't destroy too many lives. I mean, we're already doing that, you know, but oh, hopefully yeah. before that accelerates too much— Rich people get affected. We can make some changes. We can make some actual changes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.